This is The Fray Podcast, brought to you by thefray.com, a place for women who want more from life. Today's podcast is a compilation of best of moments from our Kind Parenting Company podcast. I wanted to put this little mashup together for you and share it over here at The Fray because we have this KPC podcast, the Kind Parenting Company podcast, and I know that a lot of parents have jumped over to listen to it, but for those of you who may not yet be parents, it still might be sometimes relevant to you and your life in terms of food for thought or just in being able to connect and contribute more to conversations that you're having with people in your life who do have children. Over at the Kind Parenting Company podcast, Jackie and I take turns in hosting episodes. Sometimes they are solo episodes, sometimes we have a guest on and our mission over there really is just to provide thoughtful evidence-based but also kind parenting content. So if you haven't yet subscribed to the KPC podcast, please jump over, hit subscribe, follow along and you might be surprised with some of the episodes that we have over there and some that we have coming up as well. So in this mashup, this compilation of episodes from the KPC, I've taken a couple of snippets from a few of my favorite episodes. First up, you're going to hear from a lady by the name of Shari Lyon from Belly to Birth. Shari has been on the podcast before and she is just such a breath of fresh air to speak to. She's so passionate about helping parents to really prepare, to prepare for their delivery and to go into pregnancy and labor feeling at ease and in charge of the experience where possible. So you're going to hear from Shari first off. After that, you're going to hear from another incredible woman. They're all just incredible women (laughs) over on this podcast. Um, Her name is Catherine Bell. And Catherine Bell is the creator and founder and visionary behind the birth map. Catherine calls herself a birth cartographer. And I I love everything that Catherine is about because... I really do believe that if I had the knowledge and support of birth mapping going into my pregnancy and my labor, it really would have made such a huge difference to my whole experience. And so you're going to hear from Catherine Bell and all of these episodes, I should mention, these are just snippets. So if you listen to these episodes and you enjoy them, jump over and listen to the full conversation because I've just picked like five minutes from each episode, but really these are like 45 minute episodes that are jam packed with so much great, um, so much great content and food for thought really. So you'll hear from Shari, you'll hear from Catherine, then you're going to hear from Jackie and and she is going to be speaking about how to prepare for the fourth trimester. Now, if you're not familiar with the terminology, the fourth trimester, it refers to the newborn weeks, to this period in your matrescence experience where you really are just learning to become a mum, and your baby is just learning to be outside of your body or outside of the body that it came from. 
And so the fourth trimester, it's really important. It's really, really important that as parents, we understand what's going on for ourselves and for our little ones. And Jackie is incredible. She is a mum of three. I'm sure many of you follow her over at The Brave Space. And this is Jackie who co-hosts the KBC podcast. She is talking all about ways to realistically prepare for the fourth trimester. And then last but not least, you will hear a conversation between Dr. Christy Goodwin and I. And Dr. Christy is again, incredible. I know I sound like a broken record, but she is a researcher, she is an author, and she's incredibly passionate about helping families navigate this tech land that we live in. She helps families understand how to live in conjunction and in peace with the devices that are in our house. And so this conversation that I have with Dr. Christie is really centered around when it is or when it could be appropriate to give your child a phone? And this is a question that I'm getting a lot, like asking if I've given the boys a phone, what age I'm considering to be appropriate. And you'll hear in my conversation with Dr. Christie, if you go and listen to the whole episode, but one of the like things that I have really kind of found myself weighing up in my mind is this desire on one hand to have the boys develop all of these skills that are kind of free of screens and then on the other hand acknowledging that that's just not the world that they live in and they're going to grow up in a world where they do always have a calculator on them and they do always have access to other people and so it's this real dichotomy of like oh I want them to you know foster certain skills but I also want to be realistic and I think that is something I admire in Dr. Christie is she is realistic. And so I hope that you enjoy this episode. I just really wanted to share some of these thoughts from these conversations over on the Frey podcast because we have more listeners here. If you enjoy this episode, please jump over, hit subscribe on the Kind Parenting Company podcast, have a flick through our episodes, and we would absolutely love it if you do jump over there. And in the show notes as well here for this episode, I'm going to let you know, I'll put direct links to each of these episodes as well so that you can find them very easily. Because if you're listening along and something that one of these guests says really piques your interest, you can go straight to the show notes and find that episode and jump over and listen to it in its entirety. All right, I will love and leave you and let's get stuck into this mashup this mashup episode from the kind parenting company podcast that's what i really want to help women to avoid is coming out of their experience and starting their 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 journey as a mother in a state of trauma because what had happened to them and they don't even know what happened to them because the system imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. And just took them on this journey without any consultation of what they wanted and the needs that they had for that experience. Yeah. And I think overwhelmingly when I'm having conversations with women, it's 
it's really common to have the experience of feeling like you are just a number and that that's just kind of part of the parcel I think of the healthcare system in a way because these people are doing this every day they're delivering babies every day they're caring for people they're seeing new mums and as much as there's great staff that care and they're super passionate about it and I think that that's how they all start off because otherwise they wouldn't go into it but I do think that it just pays to remember that just because there is a system and just because you feel like a number doesn't mean that you have to act like you're just a number, you still have a right to turn up to your appointment and say, actually, I have some questions. Actually, I want more information on this. And I know that there will be people listening, Shari, who struggle to speak up and ask questions. So I think having that checklist of questions, but perhaps also just knowing your own personality that if you find it hard to speak up and there are, I mean, there are people that Mm -hmm. find it hard to send back a coffee if it's the wrong coffee versus people that are, you know, the proverbial in quotes, Karens who will certainly say it's the wrong coffee. So if you know that it's your personality to struggle with speaking up, have a bit of a contingency plan and that could be having Shari's checklist printed out. It could be having your mum, your sister, your partner, whoever come along with you and say, actually, Kylie here does have more questions and let's go through them and let's get a response. And don't yes. be af- don't be afraid to take up time and resources to ask those questions. No. Yeah. And I say to all of my clients, prepare for each antenatal appointment. Don't just go in and go, okay, they'll check, they check the heartbeat, they'll do the measurements, they'll take your blood pressure. Okay, everything's good. You know, we'll see you next time. Go in prepared to be exactly what you said, Kylie, in, in saying, I'd like to actually sit down today and actually I have a few questions. You know, I know that you're, you know, the time is limited, but I've only just got a couple of questions. Can we just talk about what would induction look like? Why would you want to induce me? How far over my due date um, will you support me going? And this is where they can get the answers. And I, um, I, I spoke to an amazing woman uh, on, on my own podcast. Her name was Binny Dansby and she said this quote and I've just had to take it because it's just so true. She said, the quality of the questions that you ask determine the quality of the answers you get. Oh, 100%. And I, that's in every area in life. Exactly. So think about the kind of one experience you want to have once you've chosen the caregiver and I hope that through asking some questions right at the start and expressing to your caregiver the kind of experience you want to have, they will go, okay, yes, I can support you in that. We are very much for if you want to have a natural physiological birth, we we have a very high rate in that and we will support you in that. Or we understand that you're doing hypnobirthing or you, you're doing, you know, some classes. We will support you in those techniques, absolutely. So then once you've you've confirmed, okay, I'm going to feel supported in the kind of experience I want, that's where making sure you are educated to know all of your options is really important. And that would be my next recommendation, obviously, would to do some kind of childbirth, independent childbirth education program. This is why I need to kind of emphasize independent because the antenatal classes at the hospital are great, but they will only share information with you within the box that they want to contain you in. And I want to be able to share information with you that gives you all of the options, even that are outside that box, because that's when you can go, okay, well, can we push this box and make this box a little bit bigger for us? Because this is our experience. 
Mm, absolutely. And so when someone is in that stage of, okay, they've had the positive pregnancy test, they've thought about the experience that they would like to have, they've chosen a caregiver, they've interviewed, they've explored, they've taken their checklist, they have their support, asking all the questions, then looking at doing some independent birth training. Mm -hmm. Is that when it would be an appropriate time to start crafting a birth plan? Are you pro-birth plan or are you, you where do you sit? Yeah, I don't like to call it a birth plan. I think once again, this is where coming back to to women wanting to control the outcome. Yes, I'll have this please. (laughs) Yeah, can then lead to disappointment. So I... I worked with and did a workshop with a woman and please go and look her up, mums. Her name's Catherine Bell and she she calls herself the birth cartographer and she talks about it as birth mapping. So what I love to help women and, and partners do is to map out and understand the different journeys and what those journeys could look like Ultimately, the destination is that they come out of their birth and their experience feeling positive and that they were empowered and made informed decisions. And you can have a positive, empowered cesarean birth. You can have a positive, empowered induction birth. You can have a positive, empowered birth with an epidural. So that's why making sure that if you're going to choose um, a child with education program, that they're going to talk you through all possible journeys. And that's exactly what the Hypnobirthing Australia program does. We talk about natural physiological birth. I give all techniques and especially to birth partners. And this is where you said, like, if you know that you are someone that you don't like to speak up, you don't feel comfortable or you feel, um, uh, like you're, you're being difficult. If you ask questions, then this is why, having your partner, your mother, your friend, whoever's going to be supporting you in that birth present with you at the course. So they are also learning all of the options so that they can be your voice when maybe you can't speak up for yourself. And so I love that concept of actually having a checklist to go into each appointment and knowing knowing what to ask. I think that's brilliant. That's right. So many women go into their antenatal appointments and their midwife or care provider will say to them, do you have any questions? And they nearly always say, ooh, um, no. They know they're supposed to ask something. As a question, no. (laughs) But they don't know what it is. It's like, guide me here. But the care providers are living this day in, day out. They're also living the medicalised model of maternity care. So they're defaulting to the textbook learnings that they've had for the way you um, approach birth. It's a tick box approach. There's a very narrow uh, uh, range of what's considered normal and anything outside of that has to be treated or brought back into line, if you like. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. And because it's a medicalized model, there's also this idea that we're looking for something wrong. We're constantly looking for a problem to be fixed, to, to make sure we stay within that narrow boundary. So there's not a an emphasis on... Uh, the emotional side of birth or the physiological, the normal physiological process of birth. And this is, as you've said, started from our girlhood. We are conditioned from a very young age to push ourselves aside, make room for others, accommodate others always. And so the convenience of the system becomes the priority rather than what's necessarily best for us. So when we default to our care provider, more more often than not, the decision or the recommendation that's being suggested to us is what's convenient to the system. We're coming up to December. So a lot of women who are in their late stages of pregnancy are going to be encouraged to have an induction, perhaps to avoid birth on Christmas Day, perhaps because of um, the the impending uh, staff shortages. Uh, there's conveniences that need to be managed. So it would be very good if they had that induction, but it's not going to be worded as convenient to the system it's going to be worded as uh the risk doubles and as shari said when she was speaking to you what does that actually mean are we talking uh now we're going from a 50 percent chance to a 100 percent chance of something terrible happening or is it point two going to point four like this is this is ridiculous the um the context of what doubled means needs to be really clear and oftentimes the language that is used to encourage us to do what's recommended is worded in a way that does sound a little bit more serious than it might actually be. But if we don't know how to ask those questions or we don't understand how those statistics play out, we're kind of left in a position of going, uh, it's pretty obvious what I'm expected to do here. So I'll just do what's expected. That default, the cascade of consent. Yeah, the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance. And we do that because it feels like the path of least damage. If I, for want of a better way of phrasing it, but this will uh, hit the bone as it should be, we just lay down and take it and then it's over. And we hope that it'll be quicker. Yeah, get through it. Get through it. And then we can Mm. just sort of block it out and move on because all that matters is a healthy baby. And we are just trained to believe that, that we do not matter, that we can push ourselves aside. You internalise it. No one complains. And then uh, on we we move. It's really important to be aware that, by and large, Western culture is – like smitten with this idea of bouncing back, whether that's physically. So you can think about all the get your pre-baby body back type programs and messaging that we see. Um, And even though really too, on just a really practical level, women are often expected to return to their pre-baby lives and work or their lifestyle, their day-to-day responsibilities 
in very short time periods. And really, this fails to acknowledge the massive changes, the physical, the emotional, the relational, and for some, the spiritual changes that occur as a result of growing and birthing a baby. Another really prominent cultural message that exists is that all women are naturally maternal and that they'll slip into this role of being mum gracefully and seamlessly and immediately after giving birth. Mother's instinct is something that's talked about a lot and while for some they find that they are in tune with this, that is the experience, you know, for some. For many others it just isn't the case. Either they don't bond immediately with their baby or the transition from woman to mother takes a little bit longer to navigate and that's okay. But the expectation from society is that it should be joyful and immediate and this can be really problematic and leave new mums potentially open to feeling shame or guilt or less than in some way. So when I share this tip of managing your expectations about the fourth trimester period, I'm really just suggesting that you get curious and I suppose super conscious about calling out any pre-existing ideas that you might have about how this time will be for you, how it will look, how it will feel, how it will otherwise play out, and then honestly question whether that's realistic. If it's possible and you're listening to this at the right time, this can be a really good thought exercise to do before you find yourself in the thick of things because it can be hard to, to find that clarity when you're in it. In my own experience, um, the postpartum period I had following the birth of my first baby, so that was seven years ago now, um, was really, really challenging, if I'm honest. And I think a big part of that came from the completely unrealistic expectations that I carried for myself and for him too, if I'm honest. When I look back, I can see that I was intensely preoccupied with appearing like I had everything under control and that I was thriving in my role as a new mum. I had this expectation of myself that I should be able to handle things on my own, which made me very hard to help, I can see now. Um, and I also expected a lot from my baby. I had internalised this idea of the good baby um, and the good baby being one whose mum had it all under control and meaning that this good baby would be settled and calm and content and that was a direct result of me and my skills and my ability to meet his needs. In reality, though, my little guy had reflux, um, so he was very unsettled he was a chronic catnapper and also what my paediatrician called a happy chucker. So he would projectile vomit multiple times a day, every day. I have this memory of being in Westfield when he was a few months old and I was walking along and carrying him sort of up on my shoulder. And when I turned around, I had this trail of like spit up or vomit all the way behind me that I hadn't even realised that he was doing while I walked along. I felt like his grisly, unsettled nature was my fault, but really it was an expectation problem. Some babies, especially those that have reflux or colic, are naturally unsettled and, and grisly in their nature. And accepting this, knowing that it's not forever and putting steps in place, I suppose, to make it manageable, 
a key and a big part of that comes down to managing your own expectations. This is now amplified in the digital context when you can literally be tethered and connected to your peer group 24-7. And this is having, you know, huge cascading consequences. One of the really big issues that we're facing at the moment is children and adolescents who are chronically sleep deprived because of their digital habits. Kids that are sending messages at all hours of the night and early hours of the morning, um, kids that are not getting adequate amounts of sleep because they are on devices. And we know that the blue light from devices not only delays the onset of their sleep, but once they are finally asleep, and this applies to us too as adults, if we've been on a blue lit device in the 60 minutes before we fall asleep, our deep and our REM sleep, which are the restorative stages of our sleep, it's when memory consolidation occurs, they are significantly shorter. So not only are many young people not getting the right amount of sleep, but they're getting poor quality of sleep. And this is why we're seeing this phenomenon called tired and wired um, that many young people, including adults, are also experiencing. Mm. And so I guess back to if we're introducing a phone, I found it interesting that you said the age 11 because just in a couple of conversations I've had before, like in preparation for this chat with you today, 11 seems to be the age that most people said to me, my son, my daughter is hounding me for a phone. So say there is something in the age of 11. If you were introducing a phone, I, I imagine you'd want to put boundaries in place such as no social media on that phone, um, not taking that phone into your bedroom at night? Like what other things would you put into place if a child as young as 11 or 12 was using a phone because mum and dad felt that it was a great idea because he or she is catching a bus or whatever it might be? Yes. So really important, if you're that pilot of the digital plane, you need to come up with boundaries with your child, not on them. Giving them a phone contract you know, whether or maybe it's an iPad or whatever digital device, presenting them with an agreement will not work if they haven't had buy-in. And I work with lots of kids and I am astounded by how sophisticated their knowledge is about this particular topic. So what I suggest parents do is sit down with your child before the device is purchased, if you can, or before you're going to hand it over to them and establish what your boundaries are. Now, a lot of parents have boundaries around how much time their kids are going to spend with technology, and that is important, but it's not the most important conversation piece. What we also have to have limits around, I believe, that the bigger question is what? What are they going to be doing on that device? You know, are you going to allow them to have social media? And again, most social media platforms have a legal requirement that young people are 13 years of age to use the platform, not because that's when they're psychologically ready, but that's when it is legal for tech companies to mine data from minors. Um, So really establish what it is that they're going to do. Um, When are they going to use it? As we've identified before, sleep and first thing in the morning can really activate their limbic or their their stress brain. Um, So avoiding those two times of the day. Um, Having boundaries around where. Where are the no-go tech zones in your house? You know, your daughter is unlikely to be sending nudes if she's using the phone on the couch with you or at the kitchen bench, much more likely to be doing it in her bedroom or the bathroom. So articulate where those no-go zones are. Um, Have boundaries around who she'll use the device with um, and also um, uh, for how long. So establishing all of those boundaries together with your child. 
The next thing we have to do is, and I call these the three Bs. So we've established boundaries. The second B is that we have to make sure that their phone use isn't eroding their basic needs. Really important. Are they getting enough sleep? Are they getting enough physical activity? Are they interacting with real people? Are they playing? So making sure that those basic needs aren't displaced. And the third B is making sure that they are bored from time to time. I think we have to be so careful with young people constantly seeking solace in their phones when they're experiencing big emotions, when they are rejected, when they are nervous, when they're anxious, when they're feeling down. If they are self-soothing by scrolling, this can lead to some really problematic habits and behaviours. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going? It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. <laughs> 